Hi, this is Jesse, and I am the creator and editor of Angelic Magazine. On today's podcast, I am with Adam and E.B. Adkins. Adam and E.B. are husband and wife, and they lead a ministry called Dwaiting, which is waiting to have sex till marriage. Adam and E.B. speak to audiences of all ages about the importance of waiting to have sex till marriage. They share their story of waiting on this podcast, and we dive into a whole host of different topics about what does God's word say about waiting, what are the safety precautions about waiting, and just ultimately, what is the blessing that waiting can do to a marriage. I hope you enjoy. So today, I am with Evie and Adam. May I have you introduce yourselves, talk about your ministry, anything you want to share about it. Hi, I'm Evie Adkins, and Adam and I are the co-founders of Dwaiting, which is a combo of words waiting and dating so waiting for marriage while you're dating and that came from our experience as we were dating when we first met each other and up until the time in 2008 when we got married and how that changed our relationship the fact that we said we're going to wait for sex until marriage and how that was a really foundational part of our relationship so I am a an instructor and on the college level, University of Cincinnati and Liberty University. And I also work with students that are deaf and hard of hearing. So I love working with young people. And Adam does something really similar. He works in the schools with youth. Yeah, I've had all kinds. My name is Adam Adkins, and um, I'm also the co-founder of Dwayne. But I've had all kinds of jobs. I've been a high school social studies teacher, um, a middle school principal, um, a K-5 principal, um, and then I've worked at the college level at Moorhead State University and now at Berea College, and I'm stationed in a high school classroom, and basically, I help kids get into college, and I try to help them with uh, financial literacy, and I try to help them with scholarships, um, but our, our ministry uh, is unique in the way that we present it. Um, and the way that we met, um, E.B. waited to have sex until we got married. I didn't wait. So we tell two stories. She tells her story about waiting, and I tell my story about scars and not waiting. And we blend them together to tell this amazing story of us waiting together. And the 18 months, seven days, 32 hours, and 47 (laughs) minutes, and 15 seconds, that I waited, and uh, and I, I tell kids that it makes it sound like I'm some kind of sex addict or something, <laughs> but it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with um, waiting and finding the person that you love and uh, waiting for that person, that commitment, and how that changed my relationship with not just EB, but how I looked at relationships that I had in the past with other girls and how I, how I viewed them, and then how I view our relationship. And uh, I can say, you know, we've been married for 12 plus years, and it's, and it's been amazing, so. So what we really wanna do with waiting is just bring some awareness to our culture that people still wait. It's not some type of archaic concept to wait until you're married to have sex. And the Bible is very clear about that. And God created sex for a marriage and for marital bond. 
So we just want to say, hey, people are still waiting. It's possible. Let's give you some tips. This is how we did it. This is why it worked for us. And then to talk to those who haven't waited and say, look, you can start over just like Adam did. And that's part of where his story comes in that he wait, he didn't wait. And so he can talk about, hey, I didn't wait. But when I made the decision that that was the right thing, then this is what I did to be successful. So and then this is how it paid off. So that's always nice, you know, to get those two perspectives as he talked about. And we just want to say, hey, there is hope, there's freedom, and there's success in relationships by doing sex God's way. Okay. So my first question that immediately came to mind when you even approached me about doing this, why are you passionate about this? Most people are passionate about like human trafficking, other things in ministry. How did this become something that you want to talk about, speak to people about? Like, where does your passion come from and like why this topic? When I worked in the public school, it was actually um, the same school that, that he worked in. And that's where we met. We met at school. We're both teachers. Um, I remember going back to my office and sitting down. We were newly engaged. And I just recalled all of the drama that I'd heard from like high school students and all of their problems and their parents' problems even and the, the divorces and just all this stuff going on. And, and I sat down in my chair and I thought, I wish that I could tell these young people that there's a different way to do relationships, that what I have with Adam doesn't involve sex, not now, because we're just engaged. But it works because I feel this connection with him and I feel this trust with him and I have no shame that comes along with this relationship. I just wish I could tell, especially girls, how this feels to have a relationship that works and that's not based on physical stuff and doesn't have all that drama that results from really just the initiation of sex into relationships. And so... Once we got married, we were like, this, this works. This is, this is something people are not talking enough about. We need to talk about our story. So um, I feel like God just, just put that on us and called us to that because it's definitely not a popular topic. I'm an introvert by nature. People don't think that, think that that's true when I tell them that because I talk a lot. I'm, you know, in front of people a lot, but this, the first time we spoke to classes, I, I just bawled and said, I can't do this. I, you know, God's going to have to do this. I can't do this. And, and God did. So he opened those doors that we were able to talk to kids in that same school with an abstinence program, part of the health curriculum. And so that, that's where the passion came from was feeling that peace and that, that real joy that came from having a relationship that was based on God's plan for sex and not confusing things by bringing something in that wasn't his way of doing it. So um, that that's me coming from my perspective. And I think Adam just felt, you know, that he, of course, he had to be a part of, of that. And, and he felt like it was, it was important to tell his side of the story because it was different. Uh, I'll just give you a piece of this. It, I didn't have this passion, this, uh, this burden that she does for young people uh, and starting dwading at the very beginning. Um, I was the principal at the time and uh, she said, will you please just come speak to this classroom 
at the very end of this lesson. I said, no, I don't want to do it. And she said, come on, it would be, it would be such a great impact to the principal. Come talk. I said, you know how embarrassing that is to tell my story about not waiting and kids thinking, oh, Mr. Adkins has had 25 partners, which I haven't, but that's what goes on in their minds. And um, you're so such she, a ladies man. They just assume. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like all these women. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically she basically coaxed me into going into this classroom and telling my story about waiting. And I was very passionate about boundaries and uh, we'll get into that here, here later, but I talked to kids about boundaries and how there was no girl that ever set up boundaries in a relationship. It was never spoken. I got whatever I wanted. If I put my hand on her thigh, I could take it anywhere I wanted to take it. So um, there was never a boundaries talk. And that's the first thing that we did in our relationship is we talked about boundaries. But my passion came from the first time I spoke to those kids, they were laser focused. I've never been in a situation to where kids were hanging on every single word. I was the principal of the school and I had them captured because kids want to know this. They want to know it's possible. Um, something that I tell kids in Gear Up right now is if they can see it, they can be it. So in a rural Appalachia, um, kids don't see doctors, lawyers, their parents aren't these, lots of times these successful members of the community. So they don't see lawyers. They don't see doctors firsthand. They don't go spend the night with their friend and their, and their dad is, is the, the county attorney. They don't see that. So kids have to see that it's possible that you can wait to have sex until you're married. And then they have to see success. And so in our youth group, I mean, it's success story after success story after success story of the kids that waited. And uh, they've got their testimonials on our website. We ask them to write the testimonials and they waited all the way to the end and they have phenomenal relationships and they're, they're still married to this day. So that's where my passion comes from is, is boundaries number one, but number two, I was hooked the moment I had these kids and I've captured their attention. It was so exciting. Okay. So you always hear to like, don't have sex. Like sex is bad. Don't do it. Like don't do it unless you're married, right? why wait like you're, you're mentioning like god's plan like why like you always just hear like don't do it but like why yeah and that's a great question and that's one that we get a lot like what's the harm it's 2021 what's the big deal it's not a big deal we don't think of it as a big deal um but if it wasn't a big deal then god wouldn't have given us such explicit instructions um, we know that the Apostle Paul talks a lot about sexual purity and um, the decisions that that, especially that early church needed to kind of evaluate themselves and say, listen, what are you doing? Because it ain't working. Um, there's a there's really good reasons for that. One is something we probably really don't talk enough about. And it's the brain chemistry that goes on. Now, Paul didn't talk about this in Corinthians, but it's something that our researchers now know is, is going on, which is the release of oxytocin. And when you have sex, it is kind of a similar effect to, to drug use, right? You have these chemicals that are released. It makes you feel good and you create attachments, both physically and, and then psychologically, 
to this person you're having sex with. Well, that's a great thing if you're married to that person, if you want that attachment. When that becomes a problem is when you're not married to that person, don't have a commitment to them, then you start to think, and especially females are maybe more vulnerable in this way, you start to think you really like them more than maybe you do. You start to excuse bad behavior because you're, you're like, but I shared this with him. We have this great connection. We, you know, they, he makes me feel this kind of way. Okay, well, there's a reason for that. And a part of that has to do with, with brain chemistry. Um, I, I was reading an article in Solo Parent Magazine and, and the writer said, sex is the express route to attachment. And one of the reasons is because oxytocin is a bonding hormone. So it causes us to connect with somebody in a deeper way on a, on a chemical level. So that's something we don't talk enough about is that there, there is a physical component to this that, that can't, you know, can't really be controlled. The emotional side of it, we know also, sex is not just a physical act. It's an emotional experience. And when you have sex with somebody, you're becoming vulnerable. You're becoming, again, more connected with that person. And I would say to young people, you're inviting a lot of drama into your life if you're having sex with somebody because they can and, and often do use that against you to control you, to make you um, do what they want you to do, to even keep you um, kind of under their thumb, so to speak, so that that you will be what they want you to be. So you lose some of your power. You lose some of your control. And the same reasons that I would say, hey, don't, don't use drugs is, is, is the reason I would say don't, don't have sex because you're in essence potentially becoming a slave to something or someone else because you lose that, you lose that power and you lose that control. So, so all of those reasons besides, you know, that God says to don't, right? we, we know that, but, but he had reasons why maybe he didn't spell it all out exactly, but we can look around and see relationships that have been ruined because sex or un unfaithfulness was introduced into the relationship, not to mention, as Adam is saying, pregnancy, STDs, you know, all the stuff we, we talk about a lot, but to me, it's a lot deeper. And the more, the longer we're married, the longer I see, Hey, I, I trust you and I'm vulnerable with you and in a matter of sex, only with you. And I like you the most in the world sexually because you're the only partner I've had. And I view you as my source of sexual satisfaction. And I, I really believe that's what God had in mind. It's, it's, it's the, the, the fabric of a family when a husband and a wife love each other and are committed to only each other. When I was in college, I took a health class and I don't remember much about my college experience. Like I don't remember most of the facts or anything we went, but this, I always remember uh, the health teacher. She was an elderly lady, like in her seventies. And she was telling us that she volunteered at the local health clinic and there at the clinic, uh, the college girls in, in the area, they would go in and uh, whether it was for birth control or whatever it may be, checkups, that they automatically tested every every person who went in for an STD. And she said that 91% of the girls who came in, regardless of what it was for, they tested positive for an STD. 
And so I remember that, like, I still remember that fact. 91% of the girls who came in, they tested positive for an STD. And then she goes, think about that, boys, the next time you take your pants down. And all the guys were like, ah. And so she was just kind of explaining. And so, like, in that aspect, she, it was a health class. So she was talking about sexually transmitted diseases and whatnot. But that always stayed with me. And I remembered uh, some years back, this is probably years ago now, MTV did a commercial and it was talking about abstinence. And in the commercial, uh, a guy and girl are at a party. They go into a bedroom and like in the commercial, it looks like they're going to have sex. And as they're under, you know, the, the blankets, another guy comes into the room. And so the guy who's in bed with the girl, he turns around and he's shocked that a guy came into the room and he goes like, what are you doing? And the guy tells him, he goes, I'm coming to have sex with you. And the guy's like, what? And then another guy comes into the room and then another guy, and they all start saying, I'm coming to have sex with you. And then it cuts away. And it says, uh, every partner that you have, like you're sharing that with your next partner. And so things like that have stayed with me and it's made me like, so when you called me, I was receptive to this waiting because to me, I know God's word, God's word talks about like you are one flesh. And so to me, I don't want to be sharing my flesh with a woman who's not my wife, you know, like that's not meant for my forever. Um, just in me talking about STDs, one flesh, what are your thoughts when it comes to that? Like what's coming to mind? I see you kind of the wheels in your mind going, what, what, what are you thinking? Um, well, one of the things that is relatively new in the world of STDs is HPV, human papillomavirus. So what we say about that is that if you're sexually active, that we can assume that you might have HPV because it's so prevalent. There are different strains of it. Some lead to cancer and otherwise um, there is, there's the vaccine and, and so forth, but that's something that can often go undetected and it's becoming really popular. So when you said 97%, I'm not sure if that's an exaggeration or that was the scare tactic, but I do know that with HPV in the discussion that the number of STDs are going up and people don't know they have them. And so they're passing those around. Yes. Um, and I would say for sure, you know, it's kind of like I've, I've been there, done that, you know, when somebody is, is having sex with somebody that has already had sex with other people. So, you know, they, they not only perhaps have things that like microorganisms that live in the vaginal walls and stuff. I've heard all of these different things, you know, but to me, the biggest part is sometimes an STD will be the least of your worries if you have all of this emotional stuff going on. Now, that's me from a female. From a guy's perspective, you may be like, I don't want the hurt, right? So that could be the big thing from some, you know, for some people. For me, it's like, I don't want the memories of other people. I don't want two guys in the locker room talking about their sexual experiences with me, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's really when I, when I envisioned that commercial, that's what I'm thinking of like, Hey, Oh, you got her tonight. Oh, cool. Yeah. Have, you're have, you'll have a good time. Or uh, you might want to think again, you know, and those discussions, you know, the locker room conversations happen. And I've seen girls just destroyed because somebody's talking about them because they've had sex. Somebody is spreading that, that picture around and passing that picture around that they said, oh, honey, no, just send it just to me. And so it just can create such emotional havoc. And 
And I, and I think that as a female, that's, that's my worry. Of course, there's pregnancy as well. And yes, there are STDs, but there's just, there's so many factors that, that come into play when you're talking about sex, which again, is another reason that God says, listen, have sex inside of marriage. This is, this is my gift to you, you know, but there are boundaries and, and reasons why I say this. Do you have anything to add to that, Adam? Anything you want to share or? Oh, oh no. Um, I, I would say that uh, the emotional side is not the side that, that guys really think about as she, I just echo that, you know, um, I know of girls in college that were known to have STDs, but were beautiful. You still stayed awake. I mean, it's just it's just not worth it. So um, for me as a guy, the STDs and the, I guess the physical stuff on the outside, I, I guess that's common. But the emotional stuff, I don't I don't care if a girl says that I was bad or something like that. But um, as in as in them having STDs and things that that I'm going to have to deal with at the health department, that's a big deal to me. So. so- is your audience for your ministry is it high school age is, is that the general audience or is it everybody let me add this okay so um it's it's everybody um okay. actually i mean we we speak to teens i guess 12 years old and up uh in the middle schools and high schools uh we also uh speak to college audiences we've been to you know moorhead those those types of audiences i mean as i was telling evie my dad is widowed, so I even gave him the sex talk. <laughs> so I, I had to tell him, I was like, Dad, I know you're widowed. And yet again, it's weird for me having this conversation with you, but you can't go around just having sex with random women. And um, so I had to have uh, this sex talk with my dad, which was kind of awkward and weird. But um, he's, I don't know, 63 years old. So 63 to 12. So. <laughs> Okay. We say it's never, we, when we talk to parents, we say it's never too young to start having conversations. I remember the earliest conversations that my parents had with me were marriage is special. A husband and wife have, have a special relationship. And when I was very young, that's all I needed to know until I started having questions and they, then they would give me you know, every answer. My dad was very promiscuous my mom waited for him until they were married to have sex. So they also have kind of the, the opposite story. And, and so they both openly shared that with me and my brother and both of us waited for, for marriage to have sex. It just was one of those non-negotiables that we knew was going to be the best thing in the, in the long run. And their stories kind of testified to that. And they've been married 40 plus years now. So it worked for them. So if you wouldn't mind sharing each of your stories, because I think a lot of people, they hear, like, don't do it. They know, like, okay, pregnancy, whatever, you know, God's word says not to, but still people are curious. So if you wouldn't mind, like, sharing your actual, like, own experiences of waiting, like, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, I think that could resonate with someone, because I know people who will be, so people who will be listening to this will be people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and obviously, if they're going to click play on waiting, it's because it's something they're thinking about. So like, what would you just say to those people who are listening to this? Well, I would say you, you do not have to be a Christian to wait, but it definitely helps because okay. you have a supernatural source of strength when you have Christ. And I think that was a, a really big part of our success in waiting 
Um, but for me, I was saved when I was 11 years old. I felt this condemnation. It was a very sudden thing. I'd been raised in church, but God spoke to me and said, you will go to hell if you die. And so that was the time that I just recognized I'm a sinner. So up until that point, I was just kind of a kid living my life. And at that point, I knew now I'm responsible for my sin. And so I committed my life to him. And so that was part of my decision making was what is my commitment to Christ? What does the Bible say? So all throughout high school, college and so forth, I didn't date a lot. Um, but I always knew that that was just a non-negotiable. So when when I met Adam, I was like, oh, he's cute. Now what? So um, in, in the very beginning of our relationship, we had a conversation that I initiated about what was going to happen with our physical, the physical part of our relationship. He tells the story better than I do, because I think it might have been a little bit traumatic for him. But um, that that to me was a huge part of our success is we brought it out on the table in the beginning and said, hey, we've got to make some decisions. What are the boundaries of our relationship? And so um, I have to just credit my success with my, that my parents talked to me early and often about sex, answered all the questions that I had. I always felt very comfortable coming to them with questions. I, I learned from my dad's mistakes. Um, I looked up to my mom's example of waiting and, and overcoming temptation and making good choices. So when it came time for me to actually have to make that choice and I met Adam, it, it was kind of like a no brainer. So um, now from his perspective, I think he hadn't really thought as much about those things. And his salvation story is also different from mine. Yeah. So um, basically, I was raised in church. Um, I, my stepdad was a pastor. Um, you know, I knew the Nicene Creed. Uh, I mean, I can quote scripture. Um, but having it in your head and having it in your heart are two completely different things. So um I was, what I tell kids is I have this kind of like weird experience because I had all of this knowledge, but I really never felt called and I had to go to church. And when I went to church, I was good. But then when I wasn't at church, I wasn't great, but I was viewed as a moral kid, a great kid, but in God's eyes, I wasn't saved. So I never fully committed to him. Um, and uh, like most guys, my weakness was females, and um, I didn't have sex with like a ton of girls, but having it with just two or three is is enough uh, to commit that sin, and uh, basically my experience in waiting was all the way up through high school, I basically got what I wanted. Um, if I went on a date with a girl, one thing led to another, and if I wanted to have sex, we had sex. Um if uh, we did, I just wanted to make out, just made out. So that that all happened from high school into college. When I graduated from college, I got my first job as a teacher at Menifee County High School. And uh, I met Evie and everything just really changed for me um, because I, I was very intrigued by her. At first I thought she had a kid, which was kind of weird. Um, but I was like, oh gosh, she's got a kid. I even came home and told my mom, I was like, I think I like this girl, but I think she has a kid. And that was just like a, that was like a no-no for me. But anyways. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Why did, why did, why did you think that? 
Well, I, she talks about her students like it's her kid. And she can't, the first time I spoke with her, she said, yeah, I've got a little one over at the preschool. And I, and okay. I thought she had a kid. So when I went home, I told my mom, I was like, and mom, my, I was 20, 24 years old, just getting a job. My mom's probably freaking out. And she's like, she's got a kid. And I said, I think so. I said, I think she's got a kid. So, um, so I was even thinking about going on a date with her, even when she had a kid, because I was so intrigued with her, not just because she's beautiful, but she was smart and um, she was very caring. And I could just feel the Holy Spirit just when I was around her. Um, and I wasn't saved at the time. So we, we met and I remember, and I tell the kids this, um, and this is where you kind of capture them really, is when we start talking about our dates. And I remember knocking on her door and she said, yeah, come on in. And I said, oh, looks like I'm not even gonna have to buy this girl dinner. I was thinking that, yeah, come on in. We're going to get busy, you know? So she invited me into her apartment. She's like, yeah, sit on the couch. I'm like, oh, great. All right, let's sit on the couch. And so we sat on the couch and she said, listen, she, she said, I'm, I'm a Christian and um, I just want to make sure we're on the same page before we go out. Um, I've, I've got some kind of lines that I don't really want to cross. And uh, she kind of called them the bathing suit boundaries. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? She's like, well, anywhere a bathing suit covers, I really, really don't want you to touch it. So, and if, if you're on board with that, um, we'll, we'll go on. We'll, we'll have, go on this date. So that got me thinking. So at that point, as a dude, I was scared to touch this girl. All right. I mean, I was like not holding her hand, not even like looking at her. I was like, this is going to be weird. Because I was going from having to whatever I want to this girl that's saying, don't touch me where a bathing suit covered, which is basically butt. And I like touching butts. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, and she had a good one. So I was like, wanted that, but it didn't happen. So anyways, we go on the date. I was scared to death. So like two weeks into this, into going on dates, like literally I'm not touching this girl. I'm enjoying her company. We're hanging out. And um, so we ended up riding to my hometown and she looked at me basically and said, are you ever got, going to kiss me or anything? And I, I was like, I didn't even know that's possible, right? So anyways, um, that at that point, things really uh, started to, to really gel and jive for us. Um, at that point, um, I saw what she had and I ended up getting saved in a uh, elementary school parking lot. So um, I gave my life over to the Lord and uh, I, I really changed. And for that, that 18 months, 19 months that we dated, um, well, I waited and it was tough. The, the listeners out there, if you've already had sex, you've just let Satan know your weakness. You've let him know, hey, this is how I can get this guy. And so um, I let him in and he knows my weakness, even though I was forgiven in God's eyes and that was washed away. Um, it, it wasn't, a, it, it didn't go away with the human flesh. That, that still that human flesh is there. And I talk to kids about scars, but I waited 18 months, 19 months. And uh, I remember on our wedding day, when we got in the car, I literally gave her a high five, like I was some type of sex addict and said, I made it and almost started crying. Because I, I mean, because it was that hard for me. It was that hard for me. And, um, and it, it was something that was important to me because I wanted people to know that, and, and students, adults, that you can do it, you can start over. And we did it for, for a reason and a purpose. And that, that was, that was God's purpose. And I think that's his purpose for our life as well. I will say this though, Jesse, that 
I would never have went out with him if I didn't think he was a Christian. So my cousin Lori did some research on him. Um, and everything that we could find, me not, you know, having really known him and not knowing a lot of people that know, knew him, but, you know, trying to do as much research as we could, everything pointed to that he was a Christian. His his stepdad was a pastor. He went to church all the time. He was oh, a church camp um, counselor. Camp counselor. Yeah. He, he had all these great things on his resume because she looked at it. Um, but. Um, <laughs> Did she really look at his resume? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, because I didn't want to like him if he wasn't a Christian because that, that would have been us being, you know, unequally yoked. And I just didn't even want to like him to begin with. But um, I think it was one of those things where. He had Jesus in his head, but he didn't have him in his heart. He hadn't really been transformed. So um, I did give him a chance thinking that he was a Christian or at least having good hopes that he was. So um, I say that because I never advise young people to date somebody that's not a Christian because generally one of, one of the two of you are going to influence the other. And it could be that they're going to influence you. And so you, you want to be be careful about that because you might, as I told a friend of mine the other day, you might accidentally fall in love with them. You're just like, oh, they're just cuter. I just want to go out with them. Yeah, but you might fall for them. And then there you are. And so you have to decide when this person is not serving the Lord, am I going to go walk with them, be one with them, you know, if it gets serious. So it's always a scary thing, I think, to, to date someone that's not following Christ. So, so I have a question for you, Evie. You said that when you brought him into your apartment, or he said when you brought him to your apartment, that you just kind of laid the, what, what would you call them, roles? What, what, what would you say? Boundaries. Boundaries, okay. Boundaries. Where did your confidence come from to be able to do that? Because that's something like, so Adam was saying that if you put his hand on a person's thigh, like there was no boundaries. So for you to actually like, this is the boundary, where did that confidence come from? Because I don't think a lot of people have the confidence. I think it comes down to a confidence issue. So where does your confidence come from? I'm going to try to say this without being emotional, but I think a big part of my confidence and, and I wasn't super confident. I just knew that that had to happen. But I think a big part of it was that my dad had always been that model for me of what a guy should, should be like and how a woman should be treated. And he always told me, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're all these things. And he didn't say it in a way that was, oh, I need to give you your affirmations for the day. He is a totally not like that. <laughs> you know, he's not that kind of person. Um, he would say it very naturally. Oh, you, you are so beautiful. You look like your mother. And, and to have that from, from the most important man in my life, besides the Lord, that let me know that I was worth somebody who loved me, cared about me, respected me, talked about me highly, tried to lift me up. And so if Adam wasn't that person when we met, I did not want to waste any more of my efforts and time thinking about him. I just wanted to pull the bandaid off and move on and be like, well, he was cute, but oh well. And so I, I knew that if he was that kind of person like my daddy, then he would, he would do just what he did and say, oh, okay, well, I, I understand, you know, I get it, I get what you're saying, okay, we, you know, okay, I agree to that, 
and he wasn't he wasn't super on board with not touching the butt because that was like a negotiation at one point he's like can I just touch your butt I, I know that I can't touch you know I can't touch you anywhere else but you know but what about just touching your butt and I was like let's talk about what I like to call the slippery slope and so then we had a slippery slope discussion and he was like you're right you're right you're right so um coming from a place of knowing what it's like to be respected I was not going to settle for any less with somebody I was going to date okay well just to add to that Jesse um that's one of the things that I always end with the girls. I said, girls always want to know if the guy loves them and truly cares about them. I, I tell the girls, there's there's a great way that you can find out. Have that boundaries talk with them. Say, hey, these are the places we're going to, you can touch me. These are the places you cannot touch me. Go out with them. If they keep pawing at you and trying to get you to push those boundaries, they don't love you. They don't care about you. They want to have sex with you. And then you'll know every single time that he comes over to see you, you'll know he wants to spend time with you, not with your body, with you. He wants to get to know you. He doesn't want to just have sex with you. Because I had to reflect on all the girls when I went over to their house. I started thinking, did I really like them? Did I love one of them? Did I, I mean, did I care about them? Or did I just really enjoy having sex with them? And it came down to, I just probably just liked having sex with him. Okay. So in hearing you both speak, something that I'm hearing kind of from you, Evie, is like you were strong in your identity, identity and, and who your biological father said you are, but also kind of in like in your heavenly father. Something that I've heard from girls that they've said that they felt like they needed to have sex with their boyfriend or a guy they're dating because they didn't want to be rejected. They didn't want him to leave her. They didn't want to be abandoned kind of a thing. So they just kind of went with it. But for you, you were almost willing to face that rejection because you knew you had your standards. Like you felt like you knew what you were worth. So can you speak to that, to just kind of a person's worth in the sight of God, specifically in their sexuality? That makes any sense? Yeah. So I always think about that when, when a young person says, well, you know, they, they say they'll love me, or if I really love them, I'll, they'll, I'll have sex, you know, I'll have sex with them. I think that you can't buy something at Walmart that Walmart doesn't sell. So you can't get love, acceptance, and all those things that really, that's what you're, you're looking for validation with this person. You can't get that from sex. Sex doesn't offer that. Sex can support that if it's already there. It can facilitate that. It can improve that in a, in a committed relationship, but it can't give you that. So I think that's the place to start to say you're looking for something that you can't get with where you're looking. And as, as far as, as identity goes, if we will look to our identity in Christ and not another human then we can find peace because if I'm counting on Adam to validate me and say, well, you are important and you are valuable, then I'm looking in the wrong direction. He can't always do that. Some days he's going to be really aggravated at me because I'm annoying sometimes. So, and you're not supposed to say, <laughs> shake your head or say I, I, that that's true. I'll just straight up. Okay. Just, just don't move. Right. So, you know, if, if I'm looking to somebody else, then I'm codependent. And if we're ever codependent on, in anything or anybody besides the Lord Jesus, 
you're, you're asking for trouble because other people will let you down. We don't mean to. Other people don't mean to let you down a lot, a lot of times, but we do because we're human and we have our own issues that we're dealing with. Um, I was talking with a girl this past week who said, I'm just, I was a mistake. I'm just worthless. I'm useless. I don't do anything right. And so I think there's a lot of that in our culture. And I do feel like it's because they don't really have another person to help them see that they, they are valuable, but, but more than that, they don't, they don't find their identity in Christ. They are looking solely to other people to like their Facebook pictures or tell them that they're great or whatever. And so we're, we're not, we're not looking in the right places to find our identity. And it's easy to say, find your identity in Christ and the Lord will give everything to you that you need. And, and that's true, but it's hard because Jesus is not here anymore in flesh and blood. And we have other people that are here in flesh and blood. So we need that. So this is where I say, as Christians, we can be that connection and to show Jesus and to be maybe just that one, that one comment in a, in a day for that person who is searching for who they are and to say, look, I found who I am and it's Jesus. He gives, he gives me that mirror to look at and say, oh, you're messed up, but I complete you. I am everything. So I hate that quote. I think it's from Jerry Maguire where the, the, she says, you complete me. No, he don't complete you. Not even Tom Cruise can do that, right? It is just Jesus who makes you complete because we are fallible humans. We are not going to get it right. Adam cannot be everything I need for him to be. And sometimes we get really upset at other people because they're not what we need right at that moment. But it's not their fault because we need to go to the Lord, which is where our needs are really met. And sometimes that takes, that takes a little practice to say, you know, I'm not going to look for somebody else to make me feel complete and to feel whole. I'm going to get in the scriptures. I'm going to study. I'm going to read. I'm going to try my best to communicate with Jesus today. And know that he's going to do something that is literally out of this world and supernatural. And he can make me feel and think differently about this situation that I feel so desperate about or about myself. Have a, we have a lot of anxiety and depression in our culture. Um, I was talking to a lady about that today. And it go, I think it does go back to where's your source of, source of strength. And even those who are of us who are Christians, we still suffer from anxiety, depression, all these things sometimes. But the ultimate physician, the great physician is there to give us what we need, but we have to give it to him and quit trying to fix it ourselves sometimes, which is, is what I think we try to do. So this is a question for you, Adam. So for me as a guy, I'm 35, not married. I don't have sex with girls who I date. Don't do it. And a big part of that for me is I, I know God's word and I know right from wrong. I know sin from, from like what is good. And so to, for me, for me to lead a girl into sexual sin, I'm leading her into that. And so like, what would you say to guys? Cause often you hear, it's like the girl setting the boundaries. We're not going to have sex, but what would you say to men about them leading a woman, not into sin, but like, if we're going to do this, let's do this like in God's way. What would you say to that? <clears throat> I, I usually say this to appeal to the younger generation after after I say this to the girls. I say this to the guys. I say, guys, do you want to blow a girl's mind? 
have that conversation like we did, except you be the initiator. You be, I mean, how many guys do you know would, would invite a girl into their house and say, hey, um, you know, I'm very serious about serving the Lord and I want to set up boundaries in our relationship before we take any steps outside this door. This is kind of where I stand. So what I would share with guys is that confidence that you're probably going to get a second date, even if the girl's out of your league, because she's not going to feel this pressure of he's going to be pawing after me. He's going to try to push me to do things I don't want to be. I don't want to do. I'm not going to have to worry about going to a dark movie theater with him expecting things from me. Um, he, I can take him uh, to, to hang out with my friends at a social gathering without pushing boundaries. Um, that's what I would share, share with, uh, with guys and girls oftentimes really love that. But I also say to guys, don't get in the friend zone. All right. So that sometimes can lead to that. Like if you set up like a boundary and you, you know, that's kind of what might've happened to us because I was to the point where she set up these boundaries that I'd never even heard about boundaries or no one had ever told me about boundaries. So when she told me that I can't touch her in those places, then I almost friend zoned her because I was like, well, we're not going to be intimate. I'm not trying to kiss her and I just enjoy hanging out with her. So I would say to a guy, set up those boundaries first, but, but be careful not to enter that friend zone. Not to, be her, be not to be her shopping buddy. Yes, not to be the shopping <laughs> buddy. Still make moves, all right? Still make moves. Still go in for that kiss. Still go in for, you know, putting your arm around her. Still go into the um, heavens, uh, a foot rub or whatever. I mean, we've had to come up with all different types of things to be intimate without being intimate. And I think that's one of the cool things about our relationship is I know when she's 80 years old, and all our functions don't work anymore. I know that we're going to be awesome together. And we're going to be a dynamic old couple team because we enjoy spending time together. And I didn't want to, I don't want to do this marriage thing multiple times. My parents were divorced. I didn't want to, I didn't want a divorce. That was a huge thing in my life. And so um, I only wanted to do this thing once and I wanted to do it right. And I didn't want to do it the way that my parents did it. And uh, I think my mom kind of got married to get out of her situation. Um, she set me up with opportunities in my life to where I got to choose. And I wasn't in a situation where I had to marry to get out of a situation. Um, so I really appreciate and I owe her a great debt of gratitude for that. Um, but she allowed me to meet someone like Evie to where I can rub her feet and, and we can get old together and have an awesome relationship. Very cool. So, Evie, when you reached out through email, what were you hoping to get accomplished by whether it was an interview in regards to your ministry? Like, what, what is it that you want people to know or what, what was your intent? This, I feel like mission accomplished, just being able to share our story. And COVID sort of brought things to a halt for so many people in, in ministry because we're used to getting up in front of a, a group. and without being able to do that it was like but this story it needs to be shared so I, I loved angelic magazine and I thought you know that is is a perfect platform to open this conversation up so just having this discussion I, I feel very pleased that 
you know, if one person hears this and it encourages them or maybe causes them to think about their decisions, um, then, then mission accomplished. So I'm going to pry a little bit, if you don't mind me prying. Sure. If you can be as vulnerable as you want, what are the benefits that you have found in your own marriage of waiting? For a guy listening to this, thinking like, should I wait? Should I not? For a girl who's been waiting, like, I don't know. Like, what are, what have you personally experienced? What are the, what is the fruit of waiting? I will tell you what we've personally experienced, but I will throw out also that there is some, some pretty good research that shows that couples who wait to have sex until marriage are happier overall than couples that don't. Also, the divorce rates are lower. So there's some good, solid, just scientific um, data that kind of supports the idea. But for us, um, Adam is the best sex I've ever had. <laughs> so I look to him to, oh my gosh. to, to be that that source of sexual gratification. Um, and I don't have any other memories of anybody. And to me, that's a huge thing because I can actually be vulnerable with him and know that I'm safe with him because not only do I share my body, but it's, it's my emotions. It's the essence of who I am. And so just being safe in that and the bond that comes through sex has, has been huge because I see him different than I do any other person in this world. And it's because that sex is a big deal. You know, we started our talk by, by saying, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. And, and I think it, it can really solidify a relationship. So looking to him solely um, as a person that, as, a, as the person that's going to satisfy any of my sexual needs or, or wants, to me, that's, that's really huge. Um, I feel like it makes us a stronger couple. It makes us closer. And um, I think it also helps us with something like infidelity, because if he's exclusively looking to me for his sexual needs to be met, then we're much more likely to stay together. So, and, and just simply um, making the decision that, hey, this person that I'm married to is the only person I'm having sex with, it, again, takes off the table all these other options and all these, you know, all these other looking at anybody else and all these other temptations or thoughts. It's like, it's not a thought. I trust him completely because he knows that he can find that in me. At least I, I think he does. One of the, <laughs> to add, I echo everything she just said. Um, to add to that, I would say waiting was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. I mean, that sounds crazy um, that I, by getting whatever you want and then stopping, it was almost, I won't say like a drug addict, but it was, it was like an, an mini addiction. And so I felt that right now, one of the fruits is that I think we can accomplish anything together. I think anything is possible for us to accomplish because waiting was that difficult for me. Um, I know it sounds so crazy. Um, but what, what, what was, what was so difficult? What was the difficult part? Yeah. Um, well, um, if you can see her, she's really beautiful. Um, was, was just the, um, obviously guys have a natural urge. Uh, but, um, the most difficult part was not having what you want and it's right there in front of you 
Um, but it, it became easier, and I think I can only do it with the Lord's help. I really do. I think that's the only way that I could have thought that, that I've accomplished this um, was with him. But that was the, it was just so difficult because we, were, we wanted to be around each other so much. And, I mean, we would stay up, and, and we had strategies. And we even talked about that, like strategies on, like, what we would do so we wouldn't have sex. Or so we, we weren't going to, but what we would do to keep us from that temptation. So, like, making sure, like, all the lights weren't out. Um, making sure that we weren't, like, laying on top of each other, like, watching movies and things like that. Making sure that the door was always unlocked. To where anybody could walk into her apartment at any time so we could get quote unquote caught doing something and we we did we did these things just to help us and we tried to use strategies uh to help our relationship but it was just really tough on me i i, I know that sounds crazy but it, it just it really was and i mean jesse he had at least one of his uh, former female friends that that called him after we got together and I, she probably didn't know this, but um, basically saying, Hey, I'm still here, you know? So he had the option to, to have sex. And I probably honestly would have never found out. She would have never found out. And it was straight up booty call. Just, Hey, come on over. I'm ready. And I mean, you had that temptation as well outside of, of, of her. Cause I wasn't going to do anything with her, but you had, multiple girls on the outside that were like, hey, you can come over and, you know, nobody will find out or, you know, those types of things. So very difficult. So I have just a few more questions. And, and what you just said, uh, I was reading an article and it was talking about the online dating, the smartphone dating, how, how easy it is to connect with someone who's looking to date. And in the article, this guy was saying, that he could either stay home in the evenings and play video games or he could potentially try to find someone to have sex with that was like his mindset like it was just this kind of casual i can either stay home and play video games or i could like try to find somebody to have sex with and to him it was like one or the other i'm going to choose to go find someone to have sex with in this culture of like apps on phones and it's so easy to meet someone loneliness all of those things uh one, what comes to mind for you and what maybe encouragement would you give or advice to give to people in this realm of online dating? It's easy to find somebody. Like you said, it was just a booty call kind of a thing. What, what comes to mind for you when I bring that up? Instant gratification comes to mind. And especially in the United States, I think we are quickly heading into the trap of wanting everything immediately. I mean, we all get frustrated when our computer is running slow or if our app doesn't open immediately on our phone. And so I think that's one of Satan's biggest tools right now is to say, hey, you can have what you want. However, what Satan loves to do is he will never give you the genuine article. He will always give you a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. So he, he will say, hey, you can have all of your sexual needs met. All you have to do is swipe left or swipe right. And you, and you got it. It's right there. And he's right. You can, you can have somebody every night of the week if you want to have sex with them, but that's not really what people want. That's what they want right now. But long-term people want relationships. That's how God hardwired us to be relational people, to be social beings. We need each other. And so when you settle for instant gratification, it's a counterfeit. 
it is temporary and it will only lead to negative consequences if you look on down the line. So I think we all need to guard against getting into that mentality of, well, I can have what I want right now because nothing that really is worth having is, is instant. You have to work for it. It takes time, it takes patience. And then just like our marriage and our sex life, it's worth the wait. And I know that's a cliche now in the, the purity realm and talking about worth waiting for, it's, but it is worth the wait because you've got the, the real McCoy. It's not a counterfeit that Satan tries to offer up and make look pretty. Any, any thoughts on that, Adam? Oh, no. I, I, was, I was actually reflecting on my own life and thinking instant gratification from being a waiter. You know, I was a waiter early on you get your tips right then. You know, I, I was trying to relive my life on, you ask why it was so difficult. Well, because I was living my life without Jesus in it and um, not being led by the Holy Spirit, but also I was being led by Satan and instant gratification. So I got what I wanted right then. And then I moved on from waiting tables to eating the food I want to getting the girl. So I was just reflecting. Okay. So two more questions. Uh, we used to do an issue called God's design for love and marriage. And I remember I wrote an article talking about how scripture says like a son will leave his mother and father and join his wife and they will become one flesh. And my article was just talking about God's design is for a husband and wife to become one, like one flesh. And you share that when you're intimate with each other sexually, you become one flesh. Um, can you speak as a married couple to, I guess, the, the beauty of God's design of becoming one flesh, whether it's in a physical realm, a spiritual realm, an intimate realm? Can you just speak on that? So, Because as a single person, I don't know what that's like. For people who maybe have been married, but now they're divorced and they're waiting to meet someone, can you just speak on to like, the sacredness of that one flesh? From a female perspective, I can lay down every night and have a peace that this man that is beside me is, is worth my trust because he's proven that he's trustworthy, that he puts my needs above his, that he's serving God first and that my needs are then second and his own are somewhere down the list. And there, there, there's just really no words to describe that. I've told him, if you ever cheated on me, if you ever um, betrayed me, I couldn't do this again because we have told each other there's no backup plan. Like there's no plan B. We never have conversations like, well, if we ever split up, da, da, da. I don't, I don't have anywhere to fall. Like that's it. We were, we're all in and I think that is what God wanted for relationships, because if you have that with somebody on this earth that you can trust, and, and again, he's still going to get on my nerves. Yes, he's, he may, he may get sick and die and he, at no fault of his own, but he's still, that would, that would be, you know, leaving me. So no, we can't put our full dependence in, in humans, but to what extent we can, I believe that God wants that to happen on this earth because that is reflection of him and the dependence that we can put in him. He wants us to live out his likeness, right? He wants us to be um, in, in a bond, in a covenant 
with each other, just like that we are with Christ and like Christ is with the church. So to have that, Jesse, is it's what a relationship is all about, in, in my opinion. Like there, there's no price you can put on it. Just knowing that I can trust him with, with my whole heart is, is huge. And, and it's definitely worth waiting for. I was almost 30 when we got married. And um, I felt very alone as maybe maybe you have and, and, and you go through seasons maybe of loneliness. And I would look around and my friends, you know, would have somebody and um, several of them married with kids. And I was like, I don't know if God's going to call me to marriage. That's what the desire of my heart is, but I don't know. And so having that period of waiting and being patient and trusting in God made it even sweeter to have somebody that he could say, oh, by the way, I'm going to send you somebody that's going to help you through this world that you can trust in. And um, he's going to be a reflection of me, even though he might leave his shoes in the floor and you trip over them because they are huge, but he's still, he's still what I got for you. And this will make life a little sweeter. So you were talking about the sacredness uh, of marriage and um, I've been in multiple relationships to where the female cheated on me or um, I'd never knew where she was at or what she was doing. And it all came down to trust. And I know that she is a Christian. I'm a Christian and we know where our faith lies. It's in Jesus. And it is so nice to lay down down at night as she was saying actually stole the words from my mouth but um laying down at night and knowing that when we wake up in the morning she's still going to choose me and i'm going to choose her because we've already made that decision long ago and that that the lord brought us together and i i do put enormous pressure on myself and i, I still feel unworthy at times um even being married to her. And uh, I, I tell her this sometimes, but um, she's a homecoming princess, the prom queen, a PhD, a very successful uh, lady. And, um, you know, here's me who's made these mistakes in life. And I know that that's been washed away in God's eyes, but it's, it's just so nice to know that, that the Lord had paved that way um, and, and put her in my life and he knew just what I needed. And, uh, one thing that, uh, that is so crazy and EB needs to tell this story about how God works because she waited so long for me. And it's just so crazy that she's saying that she waited for me because I was off doing whatever. Um, but tell, tell, tell the audience what, what your dad said about, about being a Disney. She was obsessed with Disney, but go well, ahead. Well, I loved Aladdin. Okay, Aladdin. so it came out in the 90s and it was my heyday. And I was like, I love this movie. It's got such great music. And Aladdin is just, he is great. And I just need an Aladdin, right? So my my dad saw my obsession with it. And yes, I did have a bedspread with Aladdin on it. Um, but he was like, Ubi, it was like one of those heart to heart moments. I need to tell you that you're not going to find Aladdin. Okay, so it was like this moment. How said, old were you? Um, I was probably 16, 17, something like that. So ready to date if possible, you know, all this. And so I was like, I know, daddy, it's just a movie, you know. 
And so fast forward, when I met Adam, one of the first photographs that I was ever given by, by um, one of his friends was a picture of him That's Aladdin. in a Aladdin costume. Okay. Yeah. And he had done that for some type of an event, for a children's event, I think. And so I have, I have Aladdin in the turban and all, you know, and that's just kind of something fun that God does sometimes to say, Hey, I'm just going to throw this in and let you know, I'm, I'm working in this and, you know, you didn't have the Aladdin, but you have your Aladdin. Okay. <laughs> so it, it was just a fun, a fun thing that God did to just say, okay, here you go. I'm just showing off now. Very cool. So my last question for you is. What is next for your ministry? What is next for you both? Anything you want to share? I think that COVID has forced us to start thinking outside of the box. Um, I kind of assumed that when we started this, and again, it's been, been several years, but that people would just be knocking down our door saying, oh, please come and share your story. But um, something as tedious and um, sensitive as sex um, is not something that a lot of people like to invite in for, you know, conversational and even, even youth groups, like they want to know you personally before they're going to let you talk about something so sensitive. So it's been kind of a slow growth as far as opportunities and it started to pick up and then COVID hit. So, so now we're thinking about new opportunities and ways we can do things virtually. Um, and so we hope to head, head in that direction with just having some maybe more unique types of opportunities to, to minister to people. We definitely want to keep sharing our story because we believe that, that God can just encourage people through that and, and kind of stir up some, some thoughts in that. Um, one of the things I'm doing personally is I'm going to host a show on a new streaming platform called Saltflix, saltflix.com you want to check it out so um that'll be something that that i hope will also support our ministry because the ideals are are in alignment you know we want to to share the gospel and reach people in the real life struggles that they're going through and sometimes sex and relationships is like the issue people are are dealing with and sometimes a barrier between them and getting to god so we want to just keep keep sharing our story. And when is that coming out or happening? Um, the the show should be airing in June, okay. so still in production, but um, it will be on Salt Flicks, and it's their first original content. Okay. So I'm 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 excited to see where that that will go, just because I love the idea of going straight into people's living rooms and on their phones because we spend a lot of time in front of our cell phones so if we can get a little jesus coming in through there that's that's exciting to me anything to add adam no i'm just i'm just really excited to to see see what the future holds um i enjoy live audience personally um i i'm cool with the virtual i'm cool with the podcast we've done some of those before but um i love a live audience so hopefully we'll get back to that okay um one last question what can people be praying about for you? Pray for opportunities yeah, okay. um, and that, you know, we can reach people with this, with our stories and with this message and 
you know, that we will be sure to keep our eyes on the Lord. We don't want to ever make anything about us. Yeah, we're sharing our story, but it's all really just the story of Christ and his redemption and his his grace. And just as I said, his supernatural power that we don't always tap into like we need to as Christians. He can give us strength to do things we never thought we could and start to think in ways that we never really thought about. So um, we definitely want, we want prayers for, for our own personal lives. And of course our marriage and every marriage has strains and stressors and we have health issues in, in my family. Adam lost his stepdad last year. And so there's always something. So we never want to allow Satan to come in and, and to tear down what we have. So we definitely ask for prayers in, in all those ways. Okay. So I'm going to pray for you real quick. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, okay. So this is how we're going to end. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to come together. Thank you for Adam and Evie for bringing them across my path. I pray that this podcast, this conversation, this YouTube video will reach whoever you need it to reach, whether it's one person or a million. I, I pray for Adam and Evie's marriage, that they will continue to experience the fruit of their union together in your name, Jesus. I pray for their ministry, that you bring opportunities, that they don't have to chase opportunities, that you just bring them right to them, God. I am grateful and thankful for your blessings and your love, and I just pray for more blessings for Adam and Evie. Amen.